This episode is sponsored by Reroll Dice. Reroll Dice is a tabletop dice brand that offers dice made with recycled materials. If you think about it, dice should be needing less new plastic to make. There's already so much plastic out there in our environment. So my brother and I decided to make Reroll Dice so that we could actually start reducing and removing waste with our hobby. Each of our dice sets are represented by a character to reflect the sort of materials that are used for the set. Our newest character, Redivisius, represents two dice sets that are made with wasted plastic from a dice manufacturing facility. Each purchase comes with a Redivisius character card so you can learn a little bit more about this double-sided character. Our dice sets contain every die you'll need for playing classic tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons. So if you're looking to play D&D, and need some dice, and you also want to reduce waste, please go to rrdice.com and check out our new Redivisius dice sets. Again, that's rrdice.com. Today, we're going to talk about efficiency for game devs. Welcome to the 38th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. I also do the occasional Game Dev live stream that's at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a community Discord that's open to everyone. The link is in the show notes. It's a great place to come and share ideas about game dev and kind of hone your skills. We do a monthly game jam. We do uh, game dev challenges. We critique each other's work and show each other each other tools and methods um, that we've come across. And yeah, it's just a great community for aspiring game devs. Lastly, today's episode topic was picked by the patrons If you become a patron, you get to vote on one episode topic a month and sponsor an additional episode every month. In addition to that, you also get a Discord role, and it's the best way to directly support the show. If you're interested in becoming a patron, I will leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's go over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the audience and they write in their submissions. And it's usually just a way to get some practice in. Maybe it's writing out your thoughts about a game design or making some quick sprites. Last episode's Game Dev Challenge was a bit of a unique one. It was a kind of reoccurring segment called Zaccavelli, You Dummy, where you take something I've said in the past and kind of argue against it and bring up good points against it. And it's something I like to do, and I'm sure there'll be another one if you missed out on this one, so don't worry. But the winner of the episode 37 Game Dev Challenge is Yanny Boy. And this actually comes from a recent episode, actually the last bonus episode. Yanny Boy pointed out, well, I'll just read you his post. It says... Zaccavelli, you dummy, live game dev on Twitch is totally buffed. If you remember when we played buff debuff, I said that 
live game dev on Twitch was debuffed from my perspective because I thought it was just kind of boring for people to watch, especially when I do it. I just felt like as I was streaming, it was really boring to watch me try and figure out my code and do really tedious things. But Yanny Boy did bring up some interesting counter examples. Yanny Boy mentions several streamers, uh, ones I do know of, like Lana Lux, Adam C. Eunice, um, and a few others called Retro MMO and Artemis 83. I think another one I mentioned before was Vimlark. And in Yanny Boy's perspective, well, I guess he's just going by data, so it's not even his perspective, but Yanny Boy says that these streamers have hundreds of concurrent viewers and thousands of views. So clearly, just from the data, there are some people who can make game dev streams entertaining. But Yanny also pointed out an interesting thing that I hadn't thought of, but Yanny says, it reminds me of the early days of AOL, where the internet was a positive place to meet interesting people. And he thinks this because of the interaction uh, between the game devs and the chat, even in the really small streams, like streams with 10 or less people. Yanny says, because you can almost be sure that anyone willing to stream themselves without any immediate financial gain will be very friendly and open. And it's a great way to meet people from lots of different backgrounds with a shared interest. And yeah, I think where I was going wrong, or um, the key flaw with why I said it was buffed, is I was comparing game dev streams to the streams that I watch for entertainment. And as Yanny Boy, I think sort of pointed out it's two totally different things a game dev stream is where you kind of interact with the developer a bit more and i don't know it's much more personal level whereas like a normal stream is to tens of thousands of people and it's more entertainment and less like conversation or um, interaction i guess and so maybe i was thinking about it with the wrong perspective I still would like to find ways in the future of making my personal game dev streams a little bit more entertaining. And I have some ideas. I, I don't know if they'll work or not, but it should be fun to uh, try them out. And maybe I'll try and emulate some of those more successful game dev streamers that Yanny Boy had pointed out. So anyways, congrats to Yanny Boy for the episode 37 Game Dev Challenge win. With that out of the way, let's talk about this episode's Game Dev Challenge. The episode 38 Game Dev Challenge is to design a game feature that can be reused and twisted into multiple features. Later in the show, we're going to talk about efficiency of game designs and how a really good way is to look for features that you can overlap, build upon, or reuse with systems that you already have built or designed. And yeah, this challenge is just intended you for you to start getting your mind thinking in that sort of way of how can you sort of recycle ideas into new and interesting ideas and get more bang for your buck out of the, I guess, work you put in and your scope limitations. So if you have a good idea for that, go jump on over to the Discord. The invite link is in the show notes and go to the Game Dev Challenge channel. And yeah, it's pretty simple. You just type up your post, people will vote on it, and you could be uh, the next winner of the Game Dev Challenge. 
Next, let's move over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is all about efficiency. And when I say efficiency, I don't mean efficiency from the perspective of making your game run faster or somehow using less electricity. By efficiency, I mean how to make things quicker for you to develop games. Getting more efficient as a game dev is a great tool that I think speeds up your overall progress. Naturally, the more stuff you make, the better you get via iteration. So if you're making stuff more quickly, you're going to progress a little faster. On top of the bonus of getting better, faster, efficiency allows you to do things that you might not otherwise be able to do as an individual or small team. Of course, brute force is always an option, but with an efficient approach, you can save yourself a lot of time and maybe even save yourself from quitting due to burnout. So today I'm just going to mention a few methods and techniques that I think will help you become a more efficient game dev. And we'll start with the first technique that is really more of a category, um, and we'll just call it Engines, Templates, and Assets. This kind of technique or category is in line with the age-old idea of that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think game engines are at the core of this not reinventing the wheel idea. I heard a good piece of advice once that if you want to make your own game engine, you better like making game engines first and games second. Making a game engine is a ton of work, and unless that's what's interesting to you and what you deliberately want to spend your time doing, I would say using an engine is better 99% of the time. Even if you want some super special feature, um, and you think, well, I can only do that if I make the game engine myself, you're almost always better off just adapting a pre-made solution and customizing an already made engine rather than doing it from scratch. This is, of course, a little less true for AAA, where they have a lot more manpower and tech and expertise. But I think always considering a game engine first is really strong advice for any game dev. And when you think about it, a game engine is really just a super bare-bones template for a video game. A template is really just a pre-made set of features that are just abstract enough that they can be used for all cases. For instance, a game engine will have a camera system and a renderer, and this is because virtually all games will need some kind of way to show what's on screen. But templates can be used to go a step further past game engines and be a bit more specific. You could, for instance, have a template for an FPS character controller, because you know that there's a few core elements that make up an FPS character. You know the camera is going to be controlled from a first-person perspective, you maybe know that the body will move in four directions. You'll probably want jump and crouch functionality and a gun on the screen with an input to fire it. Recently, I made an FPS for a game jam, and I made sure to consider all of these things as generally as I could. That way I could reuse all the code and project setup again in the future for any other FPS games that I wanted to make. By having this template set up, I don't have to start at zero when I go to make another FPS. This is especially great to have for game jams if that jam, um, that specific jam's rules allow for it, because even saving that little bit of setup time can be a huge advantage in a game jam. But it's also just a really great thing to have for iterating on ideas quickly. 
oftentimes I have ideas for games that I want to try out, but I have to build the building blocks before I can build the game. And if the building blocks are already made, then I can get to testing and iterating on that idea faster. So templates are great for kind of the ideation phase of game dev. Having templates is also a common practice for commercial indie devs. Uh, I remember watching a really old talk and I couldn't find it. But anyways, it was an old talk about a dev whose main source of income for his studio was Match 3 games. And he had set up a really awesome template that allowed him to come out with a new Match 3 game like every two months. He would always start from the same template and then tweak and change things till he got a good Match 3 game with a solid core but a unique twist or feature. The key to templates and the big idea is that templates make iteration faster and faster iteration, in my opinion, is always good. You can also buy templates as pre-made assets. Buying a template off a place like the Unity Asset Store does have some pitfalls that I think you should be careful of. Firstly, remember that these assets are products intended for sale, and they're usually marketed kind of aggressively, or I don't know what the right word is for, I won't say dishonestly, but they make it look like it's an instant game, like you only have to press one button and you <laughs> have a game made. In some cases, I think it's true. It's actually temp buying a template actually really works out well. And in some cases is as easy as pressing a button. But I find that that's only really true for extremely specific templates. And a lot of the bigger ones, the ones that advertise like an entire game, um, they just make it look a lot easier than it actually is. Like, if you need a water shader generator, there are definitely some good pre-made water shader templates for sale. But just be wary of some kind of template or asset that's like complete MMO in a box. <laughs> it's almost a situation of um, it being too good to be true. Another pitfall you have to look out for when buying pre-made templates is dependencies. And there can either be dependencies on certain game engine features, like only working with specific render pipelines, or dependencies built into the systems of the template. Maybe systems that you don't want in your game or are worse in conflict with your project. I'll give you an example. For that FPS jam game that I'm actually currently making, originally I was going to use a pre-made FPS template that I bought. The problem was that this FPS template had a built-in player spawn system that everything else was dependent on. Now this wouldn't have been a huge problem, but I had already made a player spawn system of my own that other parts of my project were dependent on. And so I was forced to either restructure everything or not use the FPS template. I guess when I bought it, I was hoping it was going to be a bit more modular where I could just take the pieces out of the template that I wanted. But sadly, the FPS template had dependencies on the player spawn system and inventory system, dependencies on a system for holding your breath while aiming, all extra features that I didn't really want or need, and some that were in direct conflict with my project. 
So in the end, I had to end up scrapping the idea of using the FPS template I bought and just built one from scratch. So yeah, when purchasing templates, make sure you consider the dependencies situation and understand that sometimes, I would actually even say most of the time, it's a all or none sort of situation. Lastly, for this section, I want to talk about art assets and art asset libraries. Art asset libraries are basically collections of a bunch of art that is pre-made and ready for your games. We actually have a good example under the asset packs in the tools section of the Discord. It's one of Kenny's art packs. Kenny is a legendary game dev who gives away a lot of free art asset packs and just generally a good person for the indie dev scene. But anyways, there's lots of art asset packs out there like this. And they're great because they allow you to get something that looks good quickly and not have test screens where everything is prototyped or white boxed. An important part of a game is marketing and how it looks. And showing off the development is a great piece of marketing content. Using pre-made art assets allows this development content to look much better. Of course, it also has the bonus of some people just like to work on things that look nice. It can kind of make your projects drag a little bit if you're constantly using placeholder art and things just don't look very good. So having pre-made art assets not only looks better from the outside looking in, but might even subconsciously help you keep motivation for your project. And of course, as your project moves along, you may start to replace things with your own art, but even in completed games, asset libraries can be useful. Let's think about a 3D game that takes place in an office building. Do you really need to model custom staplers, mugs, folders, pencils, or can you just use models from an asset library? In most cases, I don't think the player is going to say, hey, I've seen the stapler in that other game, and even if they do, is it going to ruin the experience for them? Finding that balance between your attention to detail when making a game and the player's attention to detail when playing the game is key to being efficient. A player might notice a gun ripped from a common asset pack, but I'm not sure they'll notice a ballpoint pen on a random desk in this 3D office. And this is where I kind of want to pivot to some more visual tricks that I think are good for efficiency. Visual tricks can be both technically efficient, making your game perform better, but are also more efficient for you, the artist, to make. One of my favorites is kind of messing with level of detail, often abbreviated as LOD. I think we did a talk about this, or at least talked a little bit about it, on our performance episode. But what I want to key in on today is that you should consider the level of detail for your art assets from a time-to-make-them standpoint. This is mostly for 3D assets, but I think the idea in general can be adapted to becoming a more efficient game dev as a whole. This is really all about figuring out what is worth putting a lot of detail into and what isn't. The truth is that there's lots of visual tricks that allow you to make things look more complex than they are. You can do things like reusing non-uniform props, like trees for instance. You can make a whole forest of trees from pretty much the exact same model if you're smart about varying the scale, color, and rotation of it to make a forest that looks like 
it was made up of completely unique trees. If the forest is way in the distance, you might not even need to model it at all. If you get even a close abstraction to the general shape, it will look right from far away. You could use a repeating Christmas cookie tree shape, slap a vaguely foresty texture on it, and with a few different shades of green, you put it way in the distance and you can make it work. I have seen some really slapped together solutions that I thought, no way <laughs> is that going to pass. And they totally do work and go unnoticed in games with high graphical fidelity. Learning these kinds of artistic shortcuts is an awesome way to make the visuals in your games more efficient. And the cool thing is that it can be directly taught one-to-one. -one. By that I just mean someone can show you the tips and tricks and you can use the exact same method. To find tips and tricks and methods like this, I like to follow level designers, environment artists, CGI artists, stuff like that on Twitter and TikTok to learn these kinds of methods. The craziness of what you can get away with with simple shapes and slap-on textures is one of my favorites and something that I actually got off of Ian Hubert, who is a Blender content creator on YouTube. Let's move on to the next strategy of being an efficient game dev, and this is the idea of overlapping design choices, concepts, or technical details of your game. This is kind of the idea of asking yourself, can you reuse mechanics or overlap them in any way where they become more than the sum of their parts? In this strategy, you're trying to do more with the same amount of work. And this is a fundamental idea of being efficient. At some point when managing the scope of your game, you're going to find yourself cutting things. And instead of cutting them from the game completely, I think you should consider if the ideas can be wrapped up or overlapped with the systems you have already built. I'll give you another example from a recent jam game of mine. This actually comes from the Game Dev Field Guide June monthly game jam, which happened to be a team jam. My team's entry, codename Pandora, is up on my itch page if you'd like to go play it. Anyways, our game is a stealth game where you have gadgets to knock out guards. We originally had the idea where the guards could be shocked and put to sleep, but we soon discovered that we were going to have to reduce our scope in order to make the game in time. What we decided to do was to combine the shock and sleep state into one, since it didn't really make that much difference from the gameplay standpoint, and it allowed us to get a sleep dart and shock gates into the game. By combining these states, we were able to overlap the guard stun state and get two unique gadgets for the player to use out of it. It's a small example, but I think it's a good scenario to illustrate the kinds of things you should be looking to overlap and reuse. Another strength of this is that you can design game systems that become more than the sum of their parts. This is features that interact and build on each other. Designing game systems like this is a really smart and efficient way to squeeze out more content with the same amount of work. A great example of this is to think about how the physics systems interact with each other in Breath of the Wild. Each component of the physics system in Breath of the Wild is rather simple, but when combined, I think they make something deep and complex and more than the sum of the parts. 
and I don't know for sure, but from outside looking in, it appears that the complexity achieved was deeper than the work that was required to make it. The key takeaway from this strategy is that you should be looking for ways that you can reuse, overlap, or combine systems that you already have built for new gameplay features. Lastly, today I want to mention the mental and focus side of being efficient and productive. This is something that I actually have personally struggled with, and I'll fully admit that there are some days where I just really struggle to focus and get working, which obviously hurts my efficiency and production. But there are two things that I've been working on that have vastly improved my efficiency, and that's proper planning and organization. One of the worst things you can do for your efficiency is spending a lot of time making something you're not going to use. This is kind of the opposite of the situation I've mentioned a few times, where you're actually getting less content out of more work. Situations like this personally really hurt morale and steam of a project, and I think are what leads to loss of mental focus and production for me. But I have learned to avoid situations like this by making sure there's a good plan in place and the organization is solid so that I don't do work that I'm not going to use. Now, of course, it's impossible to see the future, so it doesn't always work. But I would say that making the effort to properly plan and organize my projects has made things a lot more efficient. Even little things like commenting reminders in my code to help me remember how a thing works makes it so I don't have to spend time relearning and figuring things out when revisiting old code, for example. So yeah, if you find yourself struggling with a project uh, from like a focus or motivation standpoint, maybe you should look into ways of getting yourself into that productive mood uh, more efficient. And what's helped me personally is making a stronger organization and planning effort. Let's quickly summarize what we talked about today. Efficiency is a key skill for a game dev. It's the idea of getting more done with the same amount of work. Because it leads to getting more done, you progress faster and your ideas have more iterations and become better. First, we talked about engines, templates, and assets. These could all basically fall under the idea of having something pre-made ready to go instead of reinventing the wheel every time. If your goal is to make a video game, 90% of the time you'll want to start with a game engine. Making your own engine is a ton of work and only something I could really recommend to someone who is interested in making an engine and not a game. Templates are a nice way of having a project pre-set up with some basic features so that you don't have to reset up things every time you want something specific like a title screen. You can buy pre-made templates, but remember that they may come with some dependencies that won't play nice with your project. Oftentimes, it's an all-or-nothing approach with store-bought templates. You can also use pre-made art asset libraries. These are just collections of art and models that are good to have on hand. They can make your development process more aesthetically pleasing or be used to fill in small details that you wouldn't have time or need to make. We use staplers and pens and mugs, for example. Remember we talked about the intersection of the player's attention to detail and your own attention to detail. And this led to some talk about efficient visual tricks. 
An example of one I gave was that from a distance you can abstract a shape and texture to make things that look nice much faster than modeling them by hand and most players will not notice. Visual tricks and techniques are nice because they can be taught one for one. Um, I like to follow environmental artists, blender modelers, CGI people, that sort of crowd on social media for inspiration and how to learn these tricks. When thinking about ways to make your game design more efficient, you should be looking for opportunities to overlap, reuse, or combine systems you already have. The example I brought up for that was combining sleep and stun state into one state for our game codename Pandora. This allowed us to make several gadgets and have a cool combined gameplay elements for essentially half the work. And lastly, remember that we discussed the mental side of efficiency. It's not something that I have totally, like, personally cracked the code on, but I did mention how good organization and planning has really helped me focus and not do the worst-case scenario for efficiency, which is work hard on something that you won't use. So, yeah, there you have it. That's a sort of primer on efficiency for game devs. If you have some efficiency tricks or tips, send me a tweet. That's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. You could also mention it in the open community Discord. I'm on there pretty much every day. There's an invite link in the show notes. Big thanks again to the patrons who picked today's episode topic. If you'd like to vote on episode topics, you can become a patron. I will leave a link for that in the show notes as well. And yeah, with that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, and this episode has really inspired me to make a Zaccavelli's Game Dev Efficiency Energy Drink. So expect that to be coming to stores near you. Music